Okay, welcome. Welcome to our Tuesday night service. I do want to say this, that uh, we thought our li last live stream on Tuesday night was a few weeks ago. As it turns out though, this church, the Ethiopian church, is having a national conference of uh, evangelical Ethiopians all next week, every Sunday of next week. So guess what? We're going back to live stream. We can be nostalgic about the time when we were live streamed. And so that is next week there. If you show up here and you don't speak Amharic, you're going to be in big trouble. Uh, because it's good, uh, well, a, for, for Adonis, she will be fine, but everyone else will have trouble. Um, so we will be on live stream next weekend. It's a very rare occasion uh, that, that they do it, but uh, praise the Lord, we're so, ha um, we're so, we're so very thankful for uh, the folks of this church. They're very like-minded for us. They... Uh, our Bible believers, they're spirit-filled, they're men and women of God, and we are, we are very um, uh, thankful for them. So next week, live stream. Okay. Remember the picnic this Saturday. We have a baptism this Saturday. There's a whole bunch of people being baptized. It's at 1.30 in Westwood. And if you're not on the church email... Yeah, to get the information about that, just get on the church email. We'll be sending out emails. Okay, Second Kings. I know First Kings. First Kings. We are going through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. This is how we are built up in the Lord, and we are in chapter fourteen of First Kings. Chapter 14 of 1 Kings. Let's pray. Father, I pray thanking you in the name of Jesus for your word, thanking you for the foundation that we can just build in our life. And I think of Psalm 62. You alone are our rock and our salvation. And... You are also the word of God. And so that's what John 1 says. And if we don't really read and study the word of God, uh, we are on sand. Or we are building our life on sand and not on a rock. And Lord, we don't know what's going to happen next in this country and in this world. And Father, I don't like to be a fear monger, but anything's possible, Lord, and we want to be prepared. And it sure looks like uh, that we'll be seeing more hardship at some point. But your word says, Lord, if we build our life, our lives on a rock, when the rain comes and the winds and the waves uh, batter against us, we will stand. That's your promise, Lord, that you gave. And so with that in mind, there's something this evening in this book, First Kings, uh, that you have to build us up, to build a foundation on which our house stands. And I just pray that you would do that, Lord. We declare that we need you, Lord. We need you. We need every bit of you. Holy Spirit, come, I pray. I come and fill me and speak through me. Fall upon us. Fill us and give us understanding. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so if you remember last week, we were studying the life of uh, Rehoboam, 
who is the son of Solomon. I find it fascinating that only one son of Solomon is named, even though he had a thousand wives, uh, 700 wives and 300 concubines, concubines, and only one son is named. His name is Rehoboam. And at that time, there was a civil war and the nation of Israel split. From this time out, it's going to get kind of tricky because we're going to go back and forth between, <clears throat> between uh, what's happening in the south, which is Judah and Benjamin, two tribes in the south. In the north, there's ten tribes. And it gets a little confusing, but there is uh, a lot to learn. Now, if you remember, in the north, there, uh, the king, the first king there was a man by the name of Jeroboam. So in the south, it's Rehoboam. In the north, it's um, Jeroboam. And Jeroboam was given a promise. He said, he, a, a prophet who we're gonna, who's going to turn up in the next couple chapters again, actually in this chapter, chapter 14, a prophet had told Jeroboam, because of the sin of Solomon, Solomon turned to many foreign women who turned him in, um, uh, to foreign gods and brought the nation, uh, the whole nation of Israel to sin. And, and so God told Jeroboam, look, I'm going to rip this kingdom in two and I'm going to make you king of one of the kingdoms. There's going to be a kingdom in the north and a kingdom in the south. You're going to be the king of the north. And if you follow me, you follow the word of God that was given to Moses, I will give you an enduring house. That's what he called it, an enduring house. And, uh, but when he became king, it said we... we uh, we read about this uh, last week in First uh, Kings 12. It says that Jeroboam said in his heart, oh wow, I can't let the people of my kingdom go down to Jerusalem every year to worship God where the temple is. So I'm going to just make new places of worship up here in the north. And he, he made uh, two calves one in the top of his kingdom, another in the bottom of his kingdom. You would have thought they would have learned something from the story of Aaron when Moses went up to Mount Sinai and they, he took a long time, so they made a golden calf and, 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 and they worshiped that calf. And this, is, this calf brought you out of the land of Egypt. There was great judgment there. And again, it's the opening prayer. I mentioned in the opening prayer, when you don't know the word of God, you are putting yourself at risk. And, and it just gives you a, a picture of, of what the people had become at that time. They were, were not, I'm convinced, it doesn't say this specifically, but I'm convinced that they didn't know about that. Or they were not well schooled in the scripture. They didn't know uh, or remember the story of Aaron making that calf, telling the children of Israel, here's the, a calf that uh, delivered you from Israel. So they did it again in the north. And uh, 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 God sends another prophet um, to, he sends another prophet uh, to Jeroboam who gets in his face and says, uh, and, and says to him, this uh, altar is going to break in two and there's a man named Josiah someday who's going to take all the priests that you have hired to work at this false idol altar you have and he's going to burn the bones of all these priests and we're going to see that um, uh, eventually but right before, right after he mentioned this, the altar broke in two, the ashes just you know, they were sacrificing animals, just went up in the air, and Jeroboam doesn't repent. Uh, he, his, his arm also withered, and he asked for healing, which he, which he got, but he, he doesn't repent. And so, again, Jeroboam in the north, Rehoboam in the south. And 
as you start reading the book of First Kings and Second Kings, it's like, whoa, what are all these names? I, I'll do the best that I can to, uh, to, to help you out there. But today, um, we are going to start in chapter 14, where it says, at that time, Abijah, the son of Jeroboam, became sick. So Jeroboam's son became sick. And Jeroboam said to his wife, please arise and disguise yourself that they may not recognize you as the wife of Jeroboam and go to Shiloh. Indeed, Ahijah the prophet is there who told me that I would be king over Israel. And also take with you 10 loaves, some cakes and a jar of honey and go to him he will tell you what will become of the child. So he's concerned. I think this is his firstborn. Abijah is sick. He's apparently very, very sick. And uh, he tells his wife to disguise herself and go to the same man that years earlier had come up to him during the reign of Solomon and said, I'm going to rip Solomon's kingdom in two and I'm going to make you a king. And he remembers that guy. And so he sends uh, his wife disguised to him. Why is she disguised? I, I personally think because by this time, um, he knows full well that he did what he should not do. He forbid his people from going to Jerusalem to, uh, to the temple to worship. He also made priests from other tribes that were not Levites. At the time, priests could only come from the Levite time. He, he made up his own religious festivals. He made up his own religion. We're not, none of us are above that. And, and so that is what he did. So uh, he doesn't want others to know. It's just like this crazy thing and how deluded people get when they, when they get power. Um, he doesn't want people to know that he's going back to this king, that's, uh, rather to this, this, this prophet who originally told him he'd be king, this prophet who really still was um, loyal to to Jerusalem and to the worship of Jehovah. And uh, oftentimes you will get discouraged in your workplace or with your neighbor or with your family. You will tell them about the Lord. And they say, well, that's good for you. I'm glad it works for you. Anyone ever hear that? And, uh, but, um, you know, I, that, that's not my way. I don't believe that stuff that you, that you believed. A few years goes by and they are in crisis. Who do they go to? You. <laughs> this happens over and over. Uh, they go to you and that's, that's, what's, that's what's going on here. They're going to you because really, honestly, this is what I think, because they know you're right. But they know if you're right, just like we've been talking about on Sunday, that God has ownership over their life, and they don't want that. But still, it's a, it is a great opportunity, not only just to minister to them. Often they want prayer, right? That's usually what they want. Their life is in a huge crisis, and they want prayer. But, uh, but it's a great opportunity to, to minister to them, and just don't lose the opportunity to bring up again the Lord. And how much he, um, how much he loves them and wants them. But that's exactly what's going on here. It, it, it's it's Jeroboam of all people knows, he knows that Jehovah, the God of Israel, uh, and the prophets of Jehovah are the right prophets, and he's set up a phony system in the north. Remember, he said, it, it, it said again in 1 Kings 12, what did it say? It said, he said in his heart, I don't want to lose my people to the south. And as we said last week, one of my favorite proverbs, he who believes in his own heart is a fool. And it's true. Be careful about what your heart is telling you. You need to compare it to the word of God. And so there's this interesting scene. His wife is disguised and she's going to go to this prophet. Uh, verse 4, Jeroboam's wife did so. She arose and went to Shiloh and came to the house of Ahijah. 
not to be confused with Abijah, who's the sixth son, um, Ahijah, who was the prophet, but Ahijah could not see for his eyes were glazed by reason of age. Anytime someone tells you that um, if, if you have some sickness because it's a lack of faith in, uh, in your life, uh, just don't believe it. We're all subject to some of the consequences of original sin, and one of those is sickness. And here you have a man of God um, who has his eyes glazed over, he can't see. We'll see later Elisha the prophet, who does more miracles than anyone else in the Bible other than Jesus. He too, we're going to see him die of some illness. He gets an illness after doing all these crazy miracles, raising people, kid from the dead and all this other stuff. Elisha. So, so again, so important that you have know the word of God. So when the TV preacher tells you, if you have enough faith, you should be able to be healed now, um, you, um, you know that that's not true. However, God does heal. He physically heals, but not in every single time. Verse five, now the Lord had said to Ahijah, here is the wife of Jeroboam coming to ask you something about her son, for he is sick. Thus and thus you shall say to her, for it will be when she comes in that she will be, pretend to be another woman. And so it was when Ahijah, the prophet, heard the sound of her footsteps as she came through the door, he said, come in, wife of Jeroboam. Is that great or what? I know you guys have had a long day's work, but I mean, that's, that's funny, right? It's funny. It, I mean, it is. It's funny, Guillermo's giving me a big grin. I grin, but I mean, come in, come in, wife of Jeroboam. Why do you pretend to be another person? For I have been sent to you with bad news. Now you can imagine the, the mother, she has a sick child. This, this is not a good welcome. Uh, these are not, this is not what she wanted to hear. She knows something not, not good is coming, uh, even before he told her that he had bad news. Verse seven, go tell Jeroboam, meaning her husband, thus says the Lord God of Israel, because I exalted you from among the people and made you ruler over my people Israel and tore the kingdom away from the house of David and gave it to you and yet you have not been uh, as my servant David who kept my commandments and who followed me with all his heart to do only what was right in my eyes but you have done more evil than all who were before you for you have gone and made for yourself other gods and molded image to provoke me to anger and have cast me behind your back. Therefore, behold, I will bring disaster on the house of Jeroboam and will cut off from, the, from Jeroboam every male in Israel, bond and free. I will take away the remnant of the house of Jeroboam as one takes away, away refuse until it is all gone. That's pretty awful, right? Refutes, meaning doo-doo. That's what it is. I will get rid of all of, um, all of Jeroboam's sons like, I get rid of, like people get rid of doo-doo. Hey, these guys knew how to get in people's face, you know, with the, with the word of God. And, 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 and then he said, uh, <laughs> Whoa, was I not supposed to have said that? I lost where I was. The dogs, the dogs, oh right, as one takes away refuse until it is all gone, the dogs shall eat whoever belongs to Jeroboam, Jeroboam and dies in the city, and the birds of the air shall eat whatever dies in the field, for the Lord has spoken. Arise, therefore, go to your own house. When your feet enter the city, the child shall die, and all Israel shall mourn for him and bury him, for he is the only one of... Jeroboam who shall come to the grave because in him there is found something good toward the Lord God of Israel uh, in the house of Jeroboam. 
Moreover, the Lord will raise up for himself a king over Israel who shall cut up off the house of Jeroboam. This is the day. What? Even now, for the Lord will strike Israel as a reed is shaken in the water. He will uproot Israel from this good land which he gave to their fathers and will scatter them beyond the river because they have made their wooden images provoking the Lord to anger and he will give Israel up because of the sin of Jeroboam who sinned and who made Israel sin. I tell you, um, for a guy whose eyes are glazed over, he can his tongue was still working pretty good. I mean, this is a serious word right here. And uh, whatever a man sows, uh, he will reap, the Bible says. I want to bring you to verse 9 where it says uh, this interesting phrase. I like it a lot at the end of verse 9. He tell, in the beginning of verse 9, he says, You have done more evil than all who were done before you, for you have gone and made for yourself other gods and molded images to provoke me to anger and have cast me behind your back. And supremely, it's an odd thing, but it's true. That's what we do, or we have the power to do with our free will. We can cast God behind our back. That's what you can do. You can cast him behind your back. That was really interesting to me on Sunday. It was in Mark chapter 8 where Jesus says to his disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, uh, you are the Christ. And then we know it's a, from Matthew, he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then he goes on to say, uh, okay, if that is your confession, this is what people who declare that confession do. And he says, whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's sake will save it. And I found it very interesting when I was speaking to Pastor Freddie that night. I said, Freddie, what did you teach at your church? This morning, he said, oh, yeah, you know, I, I was I'm in Luke and I, I, I taught about when Jesus um, said, uh, who do you say that I am in the book of Luke and and Christ, the son of the living God. And the, the, the if, if it's real, the person will do what it later says, which is whoever desires to save his life will lose it but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's sake will save it. And I found that, we found that really interesting that the Spirit of the Lord is saying the same thing to both of us um, of all verses. And not only that, just the follow-up. See, if you say Christ is the Son of the living God, if it means anything, you're also what you do is you lose your life. It's an exchange life. It's really powerful. Uh, a few people came up to me after the service on Sunday and they were just really profoundly uh, convicted that they've given their life to the, that, right, that rather they've said to the Lord, you are Christ, the son of the living God at some time in the past, but they were like, they knew they hadn't done that. They knew they hadn't lost their life. And it was very encouraging because they could have just walked out of the service and gone home and had pizza. But instead, they, um, they, they, they talked with me, and it was, it was really moving talking with them. But I find this amazing that a human being can cast God himself behind their back. Such is the power of free will. Don't let anyone ever convince you, and lots will, by the way, that you don't have free will. You have free will. There's over and over and over and over in the Bible, you have a free will and you can choose to cast God behind your back. Um, it says, I, 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 I know I sound like a, a broken record. What do they say today now that you can't say broken record? What, what do you say, like broken file or something? Bad internet connection? Well, bad, 
that just keeps on playing the same thing over and over. But I know I sound like a broken record, but I got to tell you that a foundation in the Old Testament is so important because we really see the character of God that he's very jealous for his name. And when he's, he, he, he uses a man and takes him and makes him king over Israel and he leads all those precious sheep into sin, that's a serious thing. And that's why he says, you know, your sons, um, they'll get rid of them as one takes away doo-doo. And then in verse 11, the dog shall eat whoever belongs to Jeroboam and dies in the city and birds of the air shall eat whoever dies in the field, meaning they won't get a proper burial. And just the thought, can you imagine the thought of one of your loved ones dying and just being left in a field? And wild animals coming in and eating? Can you imagine that thought? Even King Saul, and, and he, he was a wicked dude. I mean, he, he turned into a wicked dude. Started out fantastic. But the people who had served Saul early on, Saul had saved them, actually. The people of Jabesh Gilead. When they had found out that the Philistines had defeated him and brought him back and like nailed his body to the temple. These guys actually went by night, went in there and got his body back and took it back and gave him a proper burial. They could not imagine this, that the thought of this, that the humiliation that was going on with Saul. And this is what is gonna happen. The birds of the air shall eat whoever dies in the field. Um, and then it says, and um, there's going to be one exception to that, and that's this kid who's going to die, whose kid whose name is Abijah. And all Israel shall mourn for him and bury him, for he is the only one of Jeroboam who shall come to the grave, meaning he's the only one who's going to get a decent burial. Because in him there is found something good toward the Lord God of Israel in the house of Jeroboam. And uh, I like what uh, Damien Kyle, who's a mentor of mine, says about this. Uh, in Isaiah 57, verse 1, it says this, The righteous perish, and no man takes it to heart. Merciful men are taken away, while no one considers that the righteous is taken away from evil. We do have to remember, it sounds corny. When someone dies who is a born-again believer, so they're in a better place. They really are. <laughs> they really are. That's what this Isaiah is saying. When the righteous perish, no man takes it to heart. Merciful men are taken away while no one considers that the righteous is taken away from evil. And, and, and in a sense, that they're leaving evil. There's, this world, there's evil everywhere. And thank God we have a, a sanctuary and, and we can gather as the body of Christ and, 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 and we can get a peace, a taste of the kingdom. Remember the Lord's Prayer, which is a daily prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done. It's great. God gives his people a taste of the kingdom here. But let me tell you, if the Lord takes away a born-again loved one of yours, they're in a glorious place where there is no evil. So this kid is going to be spared of unbelievable evil. It's interesting. It says that there was something good in him at the, in verse 13. Because there is something good in him, I'm going to let him go to the grave. And But none of your other sons. So uh, interesting that this kid in the midst of evil starts following the Lord. He, he has the Lord in his heart. And, and um, you know, we have a baptism this Saturday. And from time to time, uh, you know, I, I talk to folks about who are a couple of kids being baptized. And there's at least one child who's going to be baptized, Emily. She's nine. And she loves the Lord. I've seen it. I have, I, I've seen it. I talk with her, uh, uh, Lena's, Lena's daughter. And uh, I don't know the, the reason there are some people, including a man I really respect, he won't baptize a kid until they're 12. Big problem. What is it? Someone shout it out. Little children come to me. Anyone else? What's the problem with not baptizing kids? Choice. I, I, it's a choice. Yeah? Anyone else? 
they can be born again. My wife's starting to get upset at me. And, and, and anything else? They're very good answers. And they all, they all point to one thing. It's not in the Bible. It's not in the Bible. A kid can get baptized. Uh, uh, you know, now clearly, if, uh, if a child doesn't know the uh, difference between right and wrong, that's, that there is a problem there. But this verse will tell you, uh, you know, we don't know. Maybe this kid was, was over 12. That's not the impression that I get here. Um, but but, uh, but, but their, their kids, can't, their, their hearts, and this is why we pour into them in, in nursery and Sunday school, their hearts really, really do turn to the Lord. They really, really do have a recognition of their own wickedness and own sin and that, that they need a, a, a savior um, for their sin. So there you have it. That's me on a, on a, on a, on a soapbox with the children being baptized um, issue. Now, obviously, we don't, you know, you, we don't baptize infants, or, um, but there's an age, and I believe it can be as, as young as whatever, four years old or five years old, where a kid can really, really be understanding these things. Um, another interesting thing to me about verse 15 there, he, he's gonna, he's gonna, he tells them, all your kingdom's gonna be uprooted and they're gonna be dragged away, I think like to the, beyond the river, which is the Euphrates, is something like five, 500 miles. That doesn't happen for 200 years. And, and what, that, what that shows is, is just the long suffering of God. So there's a prophecy here. And you might think, if you did not read after this, you're like, whoa, this is gonna happen really soon. No, it doesn't happen for 200 years. And in that 200 years, he sends the heavyweight dudes, prophets of the whole Bible to try to turn them back. Elijah, who appeared with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration with Moses, who represents the prophets in the Old Testament, was sent after this time to try to bring them back. Elisha as well and other prophets are sent to the north. I, I, I still to this day am amazed at the mercy of God. They never have a good king, ever, not even one in the north. And God sends, sends prophet after prophet after prophet up to them, up there. So it takes 200 years. You know, when Jesus came in to um, Jerusalem, and a famous, famous scene. I, I love thinking about it. Uh, it says that Jesus drew near to Jerusalem. This is right before he was crucified. Uh, within a week, he'll be, within a week of these verses that I'm about to, to read, he's going to be dead. And it says, as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it. Wow, what a savior we have. I just love that verse. This is Luke 19, 41 saying, if you, speaking to Jerusalem, if you, Jerusalem, had known, even you, especially in this your day, the thing that make, makes for your peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes and the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close you in on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. Meaning you didn't know the time when God himself visited you and you crucified him. That, it wasn't until 40 years after that, AD 70, where that was... Fulfilled. The Romans came in and in AD 70 and they destroyed the city. A million Jews were killed. Not one stone was left upon another. The temple was completely demolished. But it took 40 years. The long suffering of God. I was sharing with uh, someone that uh, from what I understand, the, the word agape was not a widely used word or understood word at the time it was used in the Bible, agape. God is love, God is agape. And so Paul defines it in 1 Corinthians 13 
and he defines it and there is about hmm, something like 15 definitions that he gives in 1 Corinthians 13. You can count them up. Uh, it's something like that. But the first one is he suffers long. Oh, do other Bible translations driving me nuts. They say love is patient. No, that's not what it says. It says love suffers long, meaning that he's, God's, that, that real love suffers while it is being sinned against for a long time without, without any kind of reaction in anger or judgment. So think of a mother who's up all night listening to a crying baby and still loving the baby. She's suffering long for the baby. And so um, it would be 200 years before this prophecy is fulfilled. Verse 17, let's continue reading. Then Jeroboam's wife arose and departed and came to Terza. When she came to the threshold of the city, uh, rather the threshold of the house, the child died. In other words, just as the prophet said, uh, that's exactly what happened. The child died as soon as she came to the threshold of the city. And verse 18, and they buried him and all Israel mourned for him according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke through his servant Ahijah, the prophet. Now the rest of the acts of Jeroboam, how he made war and he reigned, indeed they are written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel. The period that Jeroboam reigned was 22 years, so he rested with his fathers. Then Nadab, his son, reigned in his place. So Nadab's going to be one of these guys whose body's thrown in the field and the birds eat him up. Uh, but uh, that, we'll read about that later. But And, and Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, uh, reigned in Judah. So right here in verse 21, it switches from the northern kingdom and it goes down to the southern kingdom. And when you think of the southern kingdom, just think of Jerusalem and the temple. Just think of the line of David or the descendants of David the king. It was God who promised David that it was through his line that there would be, that Messiah would come someday and that it, that, that, um, and that it would be a kingdom that would never end. It was through David's line in Jerusalem. So that's in the south. That's where we're moving to in this verse. In the north, it was basically, it's going to be, uh, you could say uh, kingdom after kingdom. In other words, they didn't, they didn't go for more than two or three generations before the, everyone was killed and another king from a different bloodline would come in. In the South, it's always the same bloodline, just as the prophets predicted, the son of David. It would be a descendants of David. Always in the South, the same bloodline. Not all the kings were good. Most of them were bad. Some of them were fantastic. In the North, the bloodlines change about every few generations, sometimes in one generation. And that's an important thing for you to understand. You're here tonight on Tuesday night, which really encourages me because you want to become a student of the Bible. And so we're, we're going back from the, we're going to go back and forth in 1 Kings and 2 Kings and 1 Chronicles and 2 Chronicles. We're going to be going back and forth between the Northern Kingdom and the Southern Kingdom. Northern Kingdom, many bloodlines. Southern Kingdom, only one bloodline. It's the bloodline of David. So let's go. And Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, reigned in Judah. Rehoboam was 41 years old when he became king. He reigned 17 years in Judah, the city which the Lord had chosen out of all the tribes of Israel to put his name there. His mother's name was Naamah. And Ammonitis. And when you see that, that should, as you become a student of the Bible, that should be alarm bells. And Ammonitis, whoa, something is wrong with that. Uh, his mother's name was Nama, uh, and Ammonitis. That means Solomon married an Ammonite, and the Ammonite were amongst the most wicked people in the world. But she was beautiful. 
And, and so in Solomon, it said he loved many foreign women. And, 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 and so he brings in the, this mom, who, uh, this, this wife who becomes a mo- mother of Rehoboam. That's, you know, among other things, that's one of the reasons Rehoboam becomes a wicked king because he had a wicked mother. And uh, if, in order to drive the, the point home, by the way, look at verse 31. Just skip all the way down to the last verse. So Rehoboam rested with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David. And again, we hear again, the Holy Spirit repeats it. His mother's name was Nama and Ammonitus. Wait, wait, you already told us that, Holy Spirit. Why are you telling us uh, that again? Because we lest we make the same mistake and we go off and say, oh, that's a beautiful woman there. Uh, I know she doesn't believe in God, but um, I'm going to marry her and just uh, hopefully I'll witness to her and she'll become a Christian or vice versa. There's this man. Uh, he's a wicked man. He doesn't believe. But man, he is one hunk and I can see potential and I'm going to marry him and I'm going to just witness to him and be so godly. I'm going to make him. No, that doesn't work. And, and, and so the Holy Spirit repeats it twice that, uh, that his mother, the mother of this wicked king, was a wicked woman. So verse 22, now Judah did evil in the sight of the Lord and they provoked him to jealousy with their sins, which they committed more than all that their fathers had done. So listen, the kingdom of the north from now on Remember, many bloodlines, it's going to be referred to as Israel. The kingdom in the south, one bloodline from David, the messianic line leads to Jesus. It's going to be referred to from now on as what? Shout it out. Judah. So you're building that foundation. The foundation in the Old Testament It's important now for you to understand that Israel, in some sense, it's the bad kingdoms. Judah, it's it's, it's the good, better put, the good bloodline. Not that there wasn't sin in the bloodline, but it was going to lead to the Messiah. And, and so under Rehoboam, uh, the king, the son of Solomon, who was the son also of this Ammonitis, this uh, presumably this woman from this wicked nation, uh, Israel did um, evil in the sight of the Lord. Verse 23, they also built for themselves high places sacred pillars and wooden images on every high hill and under every green tree. So at the time when the nation of Israel comes in from Egypt into the, uh, into the land of Israel, the land flowing with milk and honey, the land of Canaan, the pagans who they displaced would just go into the highest place and it was just superstition. The closer you are to heaven, the closer you are to God and they would do their pagan rituals there on the high places. And uh, uh, when Rehoboam uh, comes into power, they just revert right back to what the people did who were displaced before Israel ever went up there. Verse 24, they all, there were also perverted persons in the land. The, the, um, the Hebrew word there is Kadesh, that is uh, a person who practiced sodomy and prostitution in religious rituals. And so this too was done. So this is, this is homosexual and heterosexual ritualized prostitution in the temples. They did that. They did according to the abomination of the nations which the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. Now, when we were in Deuteronomy... Um, we, I mean, it's kind of hard to teach through Deuteronomy and uh, some of the rest of the law because you'd read these crazy things. You know, don't have sex with an animal. Don't have sex with your mother's wife. Don't have sex with your sister. Um, and, and all these things. And we ask the question, why? Well, it's because the nation surrounding Israel did these things and the nation um, who you're going to displace, they're going to do them. And just because you see them doing them, don't do it. Well, that's what this is referring to. They got into the land. They still did the same, uh, the same things. Now, um, it's a wonderful thing. Uh, one of my favorite verses in the Bible uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 
Uh, for years, I had this over my door, and then we painted the doorpost. I got to get it back up there. But um, it says um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, it says, Do you not know, this is the New Testament now, that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, will inherit the kingdom of God. And then one of the best verses in the Bible, verse 11. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and the spirit of our God. So, uh, you know, just because there's been participation in these kind of things doesn't mean that people are unredeemable. They certainly are. And, and we today are redeemable by the, by the blood of Christ. Nevertheless, if these things are perpetuated in the land, the land is going to be destroyed eventually. There's going to be judgment in one way or another, and that should, um, that should give us uh, sort of a grave, solemn attitude towards what is going on in our country today. So verse 25, in the fifth year of King Rehoboam, it happened in the fifth year of the King Rehoboam that Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem. Now remember, the Israelites were saved from Egypt. They were saved, they were delivered, they were in slavery, they were saved from Egypt. Well here, and, and then and they, and they left Egypt and they came up to the the area that we now know as Israel, who, who, who comes in verse 25, but the king of the country that they had been rescued uh, from, and it says in verse 26, he took away the treasure of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house. He took away everything. See, this is what sin does. It's, it, it, it's so um, tempting when we look at it. There's a quote, and I think it's originated with Beth Moore. It was like Kay Arthur. She's a teacher of, of women and others. And she refers to Judas kisses. You know what Judas kisses are? Judas kisses are kisses. They, they give you so much pleasure, but then eventually they kill you. And um, it happens so quickly. The kingdom is established. There's this glorious kingdom under David, and then we also see the glory in, in, the, king of, in the kingdom of Solomon. And then it's just all taken away. It's all taken away. He took away everything, verse 26. He took away the, all the gold shields which Solomon had made. And then King Rehoboam made bronze shields in their place and committed them to the hands of the captains of the guard who guarded the doorway of the king's house. And whenever the king entered the house of the Lord, the guards carried them, then brought them back into the guard room. And so, for those who have, of you who are with us, we, when we were reading about Solomon, and when Solomon, all of a sudden, it said that Solomon loved God, but then we saw a, a digression in his life where eventually it's like, okay, now he's doing some stuff. It's making me scratch my head. This, this, can't, this can't have a good ending. It says in... Um, um, 1 Kings chapter 10, that King Solomon made 200 large shields of hammered gold and put them one place and 300 shields of hammered gold and put them another. 500 shields of hammered gold. So, hey, wait a second, why is he doing this? I mean, I mean, it did show the glory of his kingdom, but it just seemed like he's just lavishing himself and that, um, and, and that this is just going far beyond. And so within one generation, the king of Egypt comes and steals all those 500 hammered golds of shield. And what does he do? 
he goes out and he makes shields of bronze. So that verse that I gave you in Mark chapter 8, which is a great verse to, in my opinion, in my personal opinion, it's a great verse to quote. When you are witnessing to someone about the Lord, about the meaning of making Jesus your Lord, it means losing your life for his sake. Jesus says, if, if, if this confession is real, you are Christ, the son of the living God. Here's what, here's what it, it needs to translate into. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Now, give me, you ask, give me a practical example of trying to save your life in a way that you're going to lose it. I think it's a great one right here in 1 Kings. The guy loses 500 shields of gold, of hammered gold. And the king comes in, the king of Egypt comes in and takes away everything he, he, he lost. Instead of repenting, instead of going to the temple and crying out to God, and saying, I have sinned. We will see, by the way, different people do these things. Um, uh, after, but Rehoboam doesn't do it. Instead of doing that, what does he try to do? He tries to salvage his life. He who tries to save his life will lose it. So it's like the person who they're, they're in major sin and great financial distress comes upon them and they lose everything. Rather than going to and repenting, they go out and try to get a whole bunch of loans and stuff and try to just kickstart their financial life. You know, they're trying to, he who tries to save their life will lose it. Or someone um, uh, who, and by the way, um, Christians can do this. I see Christians who at one point lost their life for Jesus' sake. Over time, as God prospers them, they forget about God. They cast God behind their back. And the judgment of God, just the natural consequences of their sin will come in. And, 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 and I don't know, whatever. They'll get a, their relationship with their spouse will be destroyed. And rather than repent, they'll just run to a dating app. Oh, I got to get a new wife. That's what it means to rather, he who tries to save his life will lose it. No, you to, quit trying to save your life. It's the second part of the verse you need to do. But he who tries, he who loses his life for my sake will save it. You're going to lose your life. This is what I was telling those, those, those folks after the church service last Sunday morning. They were just greatly convicted just by that message, but, but, but rather by the verse in the message. You need to lose your life for God's sake in order to save it. Losing your life, giving it to him, trusting in him is what is so important. And he doesn't. He, how goofy. I mean, this is one of the goofiest little things in the Bible. He loses his 500 golden shears and then he makes a bunch of them out of bronze. It's like, dude, I mean, come on. Forget the shields. Go turn to God. Verse 29, now the rest of the acts of Rehoboam and all that he did, are they not written in the book of Chronicles of the kings of Judah? So we will be getting to Chronicles. And um, it's kind of like Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They're all stories of the same, uh, of Jesus' life and John. Uh, Chronicles and Kings are also the same story of the same people's lives, except with different perspectives and different things. So we'll get to Chronicles eventually. Verse 30, and there was war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam all their days. So Rehoboam rested with his father and was buried with his fathers in the city of David. His mother's name was Nama and Ammonitus. Then Abijam, his son, reigned in his place. And so, uh, what time is it? <laughs> 8.15. Okay. So I think we will stop there. That, that clock is perpetually on 8.20 there. But um, it was at 8.20 an hour ago. Um, but I would like to have a time of prayer. Freddie, are you going to bless us just with... Freddie will come up here and play uh, instrumental.
for us. And I'd just like to cry out to the Lord um, just from your seats. He who tries to save his life will lose it. He who tries to lose his life for my sake will find it. I mean, at your seats, you can, uh, you can I, here's what I'd like you to do. Just go into little groups of three and four when Freddie starts, um, when I stop talking and Freddie starts playing. You can start now if you want, but when I stop praying, just go into little groups of three and four or five and just... Um, to the Lord, Lord, if I am in any way trying to save my life, meaning salvage what I want from my, from my life rather than having the Lord give me life, I'm just going to try to manufacture life myself. That he would reveal that to you. Perhaps there's a perhaps you're convicted and you're thinking, oh man, I've been doing that. And you hear that verse that Jesus, that word that Jesus gives you, who tries to lose his life for my sake will gain it. Just ask the Lord, what does that mean? So you get in your groups and you just, you, each of you just pray directly to God, out loud, directly to God, just asking him. Thanking him for being a long-suffering God, a God who suffers long with us. Just thanking him for that. Thanking him for building a foundation in your life that's, he wants your life built on a rock. Uh, if you also could, could you also, in this prayer time, we're going to be praying until, uh, we're going to be stopping the prayer time at 8.30. If you could also pray for the folks being baptized this week, there's about 10, I think, 8 to 10 people being baptized. And a lot of them are going to be giving their testimonies. Just pray for them, pray for that. And then also, would you pray for this church and this this conference that's going to go on next week, I, like to, I do like praying for this church, which so graciously gives us their space. We're going to have a national conference every day next week of evangelicals from the Ethiopian community are coming to this church next week. And just pray that the Holy Spirit would pour out on that community and in that gathering here next week, if you could do that. Let me just pray briefly, and then you can... You can uh, just form little groups of three, four, and five. Father, I just thank you in the name of Jesus for this time together. And I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. Just thanking you, Lord, where we read what happened to Jeroboam and um, we remember we do need to fear you, Lord. You. This is your world. You have complete ownership over our, our lives and the whole world. And, and and we have no, no right at all to cast you behind our back. Lord, in what way are we casting you behind our back, both individually and as a church, would you please show us that, Lord? Please reveal yourself to us. And Father, I just pray that you bless this time of prayer. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, remember next week, live stream. You can go to your place of prayer at this time.